Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and thanks for worshiping with us today. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us as well. Isn't it fun to witness baptism? Yes, it is so fantastic. I just, I absolutely love it. And I've been asked before, why do you like being a pastor? And my answer always is this. I love being a pastor because I love seeing people grow spiritually. That's the bottom line for me. I just love seeing people take a next step in their faith to grow closer to Jesus. There's nothing better than that. And a baptism is just that front row seat that we get to have as a body of believers to see, look at what Jesus has done in people's lives. Young or old, he transforms us and he moves us forward. And that picture of baptism from death that is um, going under the water to life coming out of the water through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is, there's nothing greater. And so what a great testimony and, and it's fun for us to celebrate. I uh, love that, that, this concept of moving forward, which is why the series that we're going through this summer, I think is so important and so helpful because the series that we're going through is about being unstuck. It's about moving forward and not getting stuck when the challenges come. And the reality is we all face challenges. That's just the truth. And so what we've been doing is we've just been looking at different places where Jesus comes alongside people in the Bible who are facing real challenges, challenges that you and I can relate to. But when those challenges come, it's very easy for us to get stuck, to not know which way to go and how to move forward. And so what we get to see is how Jesus wants to walk with us in those challenges and help us move forward. And that's what we get to do. And today we're going to take a look at another challenge. In fact, we're going to look specifically at the challenge of captivity. And you're thinking to yourself, captivity, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the deal. I know that it's for all of us, we find ourselves captive by something that is held in bondage to something in our life. And it can definitely cause us to feel stuck and trapped. For some people here, it's a thought that's caused you to be in bondage. For some people, it's debt that causes you to be in bondage. For some of you, it's a relationship that's caused you to be in bondage. It can happen in lots of ways. And what I want to do today is talk about the power of that, that sense of being captive, being held bondage to something. But at the same time, I want you to see how Christ is greater than that, that whatever holds us captive. Because there's lots of things that can, that can create a, a sense of captivity and cause us to feel stuck in life. For some people, it's a memory that has you held captive. It's a memory of something that someone said to you in your family, maybe years ago, or something that someone did in your family. And as a result of that, it has held you captive for years. And over the years, you've just become more and more isolated from your family as a result. And you've been held captive by that memory. For some people, you're held captive by a relationship. Perhaps you're in an inappropriate relationship and you recognize it and you know it and you want to disconnect from it, but you still feel stuck and you don't know how to move forward and it's a difficult place to be in. For some of you here, you feel uh, held captive by the refrigerator. Am I alone in that? Probably not, right? There's just, it just keeps pulling us back and pulling us back. For some of us, we feel captive by a little piece of plastic that says Visa on it, and we can be held captive by that. There's lots of different ways that we can find ourselves 
in bondage, feeling captive to something. It could be a job. It could be a fear. It could be anxiety. It could be addiction. It could be captive to approval of other people. We can find ourselves in a spot where we're stuck because of captivity, in bondage to something. But what we get to see today is how Jesus wants to walk along with us and help, find, help us find freedom from that which holds us down. And so that's what we get to do. And today is no different. We're going to look at a passage in which Jesus comes alongside a man who's in deep, deep spiritual bondage. And so what I want to do is invite you to look at that passage with me. It's found in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, hope you received the handout. It has the passage that's printed for you. Uh, but what I'd like to do is just have us all stand together. And I'm going to read the passage in its entirety so you can hear the whole the whole force of this story, and then we'll come back and take a look at it a little more closely together. But Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, all the way down to verse 20, this is what it says. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I bet they were. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. So what I want to do is just take a look at this a little bit closer. Beginning in verse 1 helps set the context for what's going on. It says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And so who's the they? The they is the disciples with Jesus. And they're in a little boat and they're going across the lake. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, what lake are they going across? Well, they're going across the Sea of Galilee. You think to yourself, wait, you just said it was a lake, but now you're saying it's the Sea of Galilee. 
Exactly. It's the same thing. The Sea of Galilee is a lake, and it's just helpful for us to picture that. It's, it's, it's called the Sea of Galilee most commonly, but it really is a lake, and so it's referred to that way often in Scripture. So they're going across the lake, that is the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to the region of the Gerasenes. So this is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and this is what's re, uh, what is more of a non-Jewish region, or a, what they would call a Gentile region. And this is an uncommon place for them to go because the Jewish people had a long history of spiritual and racial prejudice against the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And so this isn't a region or an area that they would normally go, but this is where they're going. And they're going across um, the lake to this area. Now, we know from before this chapter, chapter 5, looking in chapter 4, that there's a whole lot that's been happening before they land in this region of the garrisons. This is, if you look back in chapter 4, the moment where the disciples are with Jesus and they're crossing the lake and a great storm comes up. And the storm happens and the disciples are in the boat, in this little boat going across the lake, and it gets so violent, this storm, that the disciples um, are terrified and are certain they're going to die. Now, if you don't know that part of the story, Jesus is in the boat too, the God of the universe, by the way, with them in this storm. And, but he's sleeping. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And the disciples can't take it anymore. They're frustrated and they're fearful. And they wake Jesus up and they said, don't you care about us that we're about to die, that we're about to drown? And Jesus says, peace, be still. And the, the, the storm, it calms down. The, the wind and, and the waves, they die down. And so the disciples have gone from terror to absolute amazement and shock that Jesus has the ability to calm the storms. And so this is what they're coming off of. They're coming off of this terrifying experience, um, an amazing experience, and they're dropping to shore in this, no, this non-Jewish region, an area that they're not familiar with that they wouldn't normally come. So that's the context of what's going on when they land. Now, verse 2 is when they land. It says this, When Jesus got off the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet them. So they're getting off the boat. They, they arrive at shore. Now, we know from the previous passage, the context is they left in the evening. So the, by, by the time that they're landing on the shore, it's probably pretty late at night. And if you have the choice of meeting a demon-possessed man in the daytime or the nighttime, I don't know about you, but personally, I would prefer the daytime. It's not that I have anything against night. It just kind of scares me a little bit, right? Just especially when you're, you know, having an encounter with a demon-possessed man. So they're arriving at night. They get on the shore. And at this point, when they're getting on the shore, they're probably relieved. Ah, finally, we're off the shore. And they arrive here, um, I'm sorry, off the, off the lake with the storm. They're on the shore. They're relieved. But it says that this man with an impure spirit comes from the tombs to meet them. So that's a little creepy. He's living in the tombs. He comes to meet them, and it says that this man has an impure spirit, which does raise the question of, well, what do we do about impure spirits? Or your translation might say evil spirits or demons. What, what do we do with those things? And so let me just talk about that with you just for a moment. The Bible, in many different places, talks about evil spirits, about demons, about a spiritual realm. And so it doesn't hide that, that reality from us. And I think it's important and I think it's good for us to recognize that because whether you believe in demons or an evil you know, realm or evil spirits, all of us at some point have to 
come to terms and address the reality that there is a fundamental evil in this world. There's some way, whatever worldview you have, whatever spiritual view you have, you have to stop and say, there's still something behind all of this that's a very powerful evil that can't be explained by a bad mood, right? When you look at the history of our world, I mean, just even recent history, you look back and say, six million Jews died in the Holocaust. Over 20 million under Stalin's reign. You know, even just in recent events, we've got acts of terror, we have school shootings. You have to step back and say, there is a real evil presence in this world. And it can't be explained by, oh, you just got, off, got up on the wrong side of the bed. You get that? And so at some level, you have to come up with some way to explain that the Bible just is honest enough to say, hey, here it is. There is an evil presence in this world. Now, the evil presence behind that has a name, and it's Satan. And Satan has evil agents, demons, and they're, they're evil spirits, and there is influence in this world. And so this man has an evil spirit. It really, it, in the Greek, it's, it's literally translated, he's demonized. And whether you call it possessed by a demon, demonized, oppressed by a demon, it doesn't matter. There is an influence of evil that is, that is present there, a real force that cannot be ignored. And the Bible just helps us see that and helps us understand it. So that's what's going on here in this verse. Then verse three, it says this, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Then verse four, For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So I don't know exactly how all that works, but there's a certain power that he has to, you know, not be subdued, to break chains. And um, whether that's demonic forces or, you know, if you talk to law enforcement, I even talked to one this last hour. They're just talking about how people can exert an incredible physical force and, and strength in certain points in certain ways. And so something like that is going on here. But what I want you to see is that they tried to restrain him. This is a guy that was, they were, the people who were living there wanted to restrain him, wanted to kind of, you know, somehow hold him uh, down and, and keep him from acting out. But it, wouldn't, it didn't work. And in some ways, generally speaking, this is the best that society can do is just restrain evil. But what we need if we want real world change is a transforming force, not just a resistance force, a restraining force. We need a transformative force, which fortunately for us is what we have with the gospel, that we have with Jesus Christ a transforming force that can make real and lasting change in lives and in the world because it changes us from the inside out. You talk to people in law enforcement and it, it is um, a wonderful job, and we're grateful that, for what people in law enforcement do. But one of the frustrations I know from many people in law enforcement is at times they just find themselves restraining evil. That's what they can do to the best ability. We're grateful for that. But ultimately, what we want and what we need for real lasting change in our world is transformative force for transformation from the inside out. That's what, um, what Jesus offers. But we see that the efforts to restrain him didn't work. Um, so then, verse 5. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So now we're hearing a little bit more about this man. And just think for a moment how tortured this man is. He lives among the tombs. He cries out day and night. He's cutting himself. He's screaming. 
And we know from uh, other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, that he would also attack people as they would walk by or visit the tombs. Uh, he would also, he also uh, didn't wear clothes, so he ran around naked. So probably not one of the scenes that the Chosen series is going to pick for their next episode, right? You know, might skip this one or the next Jesus film that comes out depicting his life. It's like, okay, well, this one's, this one's a whole lot going on and it's hard to, to picture, but it really, you just have to stop and say, man, there's a whole lot going on in this man's life. There's a, there's a whole heap of challenges and, and, and spiritual uh, challenge and forces that, are, that he's up against in this moment. And so it's important for us to see that. And if you and I were to look at this, you and I were to say, man, this guy, if we were to counter him or see him, we would say, he's got some sort of mental illness. That's what we would probably diagnose it as. Um, but Jesus doesn't d- diagnose it simply as a, a mental illness. He sees it spiritually, which is important for us to recognize that our lives are more than just, they're very complex. They're not just one thing. We like to categorize and put things in little boxes and say, well, that's the physical, that's the spiritual, that's the emotional, but miss the fact that it's all mixed in together. And I think that's important for us to get that there are times when in our lives we have to address things on multiple levels. And Jesus recognizes that. We don't see things in the same way that Jesus does, but he wants to recognize things holistically. And so I think it's just important for us if we are ill, we go to the doctor. And if the doctor um, gives you two aspirin, you go home and take it for your headaches. But then at the same time, you pray that your headaches go away, right? And if you have your headaches go away, you're not sitting there wondering, well, was it the aspirin or was it the prayer? You step back and say, God, thank you for using whatever you want to use for your purposes. That's the whole point, that we're complex. And so you're dealing with uh, uh, you know, challenges emotionally or in, in your life, go see a therapist. At the same time, pray. That's, that's the idea, that we, we just have to see things on multiple, multiple arenas and, and attack it together. And so this is kind of why this is actually very helpful for us to see. Then verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So this is a guy who's been held captive. He's been in bondage. He's been living for how many years in this, this, this horrible state, but he sees Jesus and he runs towards him and he falls to his knees. He recognizes I need help. And all that he can physically do is just get to Jesus and fall to his knees. Now, that's amazing, that part of it. But if you're a disciple and you're just landed on shore and you see some guy running out of the tombs, screaming, naked, bloody, what are you doing? I don't know about you, but I'm getting back on the boat. I'm on the other side of the shore at that point. That's what I'd be doing, right? I couldn't paddle boat or no boat. I'm swimming. It doesn't matter. Take me back to the storm. This would be a freaky scene. But I love the fact that Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't climb back in the boat. He stands and he's ready to, to greet him and help him. That's the beauty of Jesus. And who could blame anyone else for doing it? But I just love the fact that Jesus is saying, no, I, I care for people. And over and over in scripture, you'll just see Jesus want to be with people who are hurting, who are stuck, who are struggling. That's what Jesus does. He wants to be with us. He doesn't run away from us. He enters into our challenges. And that's what we see here. It's so beautiful. This man runs. It's all he can do. Run and fall at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't run away either. Verse seven, 
He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. So now this man physically, he knows he needs help, but he's also under this spiritual influence. And so the demons are crying out and they, they say to Jesus, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture us. So the demons, by the way, have excellent theology. They know who Jesus is. Okay, it's possible to have good theology and not saving faith. And that's a bit of a warning for us, too. So they have excellent theology. They say, what do you want from us? And it's interesting, the, one who's, the ones who are torturing don't want to be tortured. So I just think there's some irony there. Then verse 8 says this, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then verse 9, Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So Jesus asked the demon, the the spiritual forces there, what's what's your name? He says, my name is Legion, um, for we are many. And a legion in the Roman world uh, is uh, is 6,000 foot soldiers. That's how much a legion is. So when you think about uh, this guy and the spiritual influence in his life and how how much it is it's like well we don't know if it's that means there's six thousand demons that are involved here or it's just a way of saying there's a lot um it doesn't really matter we just know there's an infestation of evil oppression in this man's life and so this is what he uh the state that he's in then verse 10 and he begged jesus again again not to send him out of the area so he's begging jesus don't send us out of the area don't send us the demons don't want to be sent out of the area which is an interesting um, question and the question you may have uh, when you read this verse is well why is it that they're begging jesus not to send them out of the area it's a good question and so let me do my best to explain it for to you i don't know (laughs) i don't I really don't know what's going on here. I think it's, it's, it's you know, you look at other p- parts of Scripture, it's possible that, that demons may have uh, influence in certain territories or regions, and that there is, could be some of that. It could be that, hey, we've worked up a little nice little clientele here in this zip code, and we don't want to go to another zip code. I don't know. The passage doesn't really help us. But it is an interesting question, so um, good job for asking it. All right. Then <laughs> verse 11 says this, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. Verse 12, the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Verse 13, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. This is fascinating. There, the demons are saying, don't send us out of the area, send us into these pigs. And so, Jesus gives permission, the, de- the demons, the evil spirits go into the pigs, the pigs rush down the hill, hit the water, and they drown, which is fascinating because, I don't know if you know this or not, but pigs can swim. Pigs can swim, they're like a big flotation device out there, okay? So I think they can, they, you talk to people that know pigs, they'll tell you they can swim. So the question is, why do they drown? And I think the best answer in my mind is this, that demons are bent on destruction, and if it's not destructing, bringing destruction to people's lives, they'll do it to pigs' lives, okay? So it just helps us understand they're bent on destruction. And, that, and we, we can't take that lightly. The other question you may have is, well, what, is, what does Jesus have against pigs? I mean, what's the deal? 
And I'm tempted to say because there's no cats available. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that. That would be mean, okay? That, cats are great. I love them, just not as a group, okay? That's just that... That's, that's, I'll stop right there. So he sent, he sent them into the pigs. And this is an interesting, it does bring up the question, well, why the pigs? And why this, why this destruction to the pigs? And why does God allow this to happen? And I, I think there's at least two things that are helpful for us to see here. The first one is this. One, that by sending these evil spirits into the pigs and having this dramatic event take place, it helps the people, including the man who's just been healed, helps them know that there's a real, there are real spiritual forces. It helps them dramatically see, because you can say, oh, there's evil spirits. And okay, well, how do you know that or demonstrate that? Well, that's a pretty clear demonstration, right? And so there's a sense in which, oh yeah, there are spiritual forces and there, there's something there. And then the second reason why I think it's helpful or important that Jesus did this is that it helps the people who are living in the town understand that this guy has really been healed. Because this is a guy that's been terrorizing this town for quite some time, living in the tombs, screaming, cutting himself, attacking people, running around naked. I mean, for them to trust that he's changed, that he's truly been transformed, they need to see some sort of something that's a little bit more dramatic. And 2,000 pigs diving in um, to the water is a pretty big, you know, that's a pretty dramatic act. And so it helps them say, whoa, He's changed. There's something there. We can't deny this incredible thing that has happened that we see. And I think for the man who's been healed, he watches all the pigs go into the water and says, man, no wonder I was feeling so bad, right? That's what he's thinking. The people in the town watch that and say, who is this Jesus that can make something such incredible take place, this transformation take place? And for the disciples, they're watching and they're saying, wow, Jesus not only can calm storms, but he can calm the storms of our soul too. So they're seeing, they're getting it. And I think that's why Jesus helps us, uh, helps by, by allowing us to see this picture. Then verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. I bet they've heard this incredible thing. The guy that's been screaming in the tombs is changed and a ton of pigs just went into the water, you know? And so the, you just think about it, the insurance claim on this, okay, uh, you know, cause of pig death, suicide. Okay, this is interesting one. You know, this is, this, this is not a common experience. This is something crazy that's happened. I, I tend to think about the fishermen because this is such a, a fishing group, all those living around the, the lake, you know, the fishermen out that next week, they're pulling in their nets and they're like, whoa, man, we caught a pig. You know what I mean? There's not a lot, a lot of explain. There's, you know, you get home. Hey, how was fishing today, honey? You will never believe what I, what I came across. That's the kind of idea there, you know? People who are salmon fishermen or fishermen, they're always looking for that, you know, that fish that call, you know, we got a big old salmon, it's a hog, but they never really think about like a real hog that they're like, you know, hooking into. So it's just, just a crazy picture that's going on. And so they want to see what is going on, what is happening um, with this, this scenario. Then verse 15 Then they came to Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So there's a couple of things that I want you to see here. First of all, this man who was possessed by demons is now sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And that's powerful. I mean, here's a guy who was just 
you know, the day before, terrorizing people in the tombs, living alone, just crazy. And here he is, just now sitting, dressed in his right mind. He's laughing when he's supposed to laugh. He's listening and talking and responding in coherent sentences. And so they're going, whoa, what happened? That's, that's incredible. And I know that for the people who are looking at him, they're scared. But just think about this guy for a moment. Just think about what he's feeling. How he's, the freedom that he has. The hope that he has. The deliverance, the peace that he has. A guy for who knows how many years has been held captive in bondage in isolation, now in a right state of mind, healed, restored, at peace. What an incredible transformation. And I think for us here today, we just need to stop and let that soak in for a moment. Because what I want you to hear and what I want you to see is that Jesus can transform you. That many of you feel you've been held captive, you're in bondage, whatever it might be, to fear anxiety, to addiction, to habits. Listen, God's power is greater still. That he can transform you. That he can bring peace. He can bring restoration. He can bring wholeness in the parts of your life that you never thought could be whole. Some of you are so burdened by your own sin or your own history or your own whatever it might be. But listen, What I want you to see in this man's life is that Jesus can walk with you and he can transform you. Perhaps you've seen it in other people's lives and wondered, could it happen for me? Yes, it can. It can happen for you through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not another person. It's not another plan. It's not another power. It's coming to Jesus and allowing him to transform you. All this guy did was run and fall at Jesus' feet. He got down on his knees and said, I can't do this. That's all I can do is just get to Jesus' feet. But it's him abandoning hope in all of us in different areas of our life where we're held captive, abandoning hope in my power, your power, but turning to him. Because that's just it. It's not that I have confidence in you or confidence in me that I can be transformed. It's confidence in Jesus, that he can and wants to transform your life. That's what I want you to hear and feel. Now, that's what we see with him, and that's the hope and the encouragement in this passage, but it says that the people who looked at him, they're afraid. And the question is, well, why are they afraid? And I think one of the explanations for that is likely because when you see a demonstration of power without relationship, it can come across as threatening or a danger. You perhaps have run across somebody who has a dog and their dog is very large. It's powerful. It's intimidating. And you, you see the dog and you kind of take a step back. You're like, that's a big dog. That's a powerful dog. I'm going to stay here. Dog will stay there. But the owner of the dog will say something like, oh, it's okay. It's, this is my dog and my dog loves people. And you're thinking to yourself, that dog loves to eat people. That's what, that's, that's what I'm looking at. And the difference is, for the owner, they have a relationship with the dog, a connection. And that dog's power means comfort and security 
And the under, there's understanding there, but for someone who's just walking up and seeing that kind of power without the relationship, minus any kind of a connection, it's threatening, it's dangerous. And I think people see Jesus and they see his power, what he can do. With outside, you know, absent of relationship, it can be a threat. And that's what's going on for these people. And it helps us understand why the, their next response. In verse 16, it says this. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told all about the pigs as well. So they're hearing the story. Then what do they say and what happens in verse 17? Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. They say, Jesus, get out of here. Why the response? Why are they pushing Jesus away? Well, I think there's more than one person that's captive in this story. Sure, we see the man who has the, the impure spirits, and we see the influence there, and we see that he's held captive. But what, I want, what, what we need to see in this passage is there's more people that are held captive than just him. The people here in the town, they see the guy and they see he's healed, but they also see their pigs that have just died, and they're saying, that's a lot of financial loss. And they can't get past, yeah, 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 great, he's fine, he's healed, a big deal, but man, I've lost a lot of money today. You're messing up the whole economy, Jesus. And so you got to get out of here because you might mess up our world. And I think this is where we can also find ourselves captive to fear. We're not any different from the people in the town at different ways, in different times. We push Jesus away because we're held captive by our own fears. And I think the three C, there's different ways that we, fi- we, we find ourselves being fearful. We're fearful of, like, if we, ha- if we ab- keep Jesus around or approach him or submit to him, it will cost me something. It will be uncomfortable for me and it'll lose control. That's the, it's cost, comfort, and control. The Jesus, if I follow you, it might cost me. You might change how I manage my finances and that's why I'm gonna keep a little bit of a distance from you because I'm killed captive by my finances and how I want my money and how I want them to use. But Jesus, don't touch that. So we, we, we have, we're captive by something. We push Jesus away. We're saying, okay, Jesus, I, I, I want a little bit of Jesus, but I don't want you to make me feel uncomfortable, Jesus. I'm cool coming to church, but I don't really want to engage any further than that. So don't push me outside of my comfort zone, Jesus. We push Jesus away. But we're held captive by our comfort. When Jesus is saying, no, listen, I want to push you outside of your comfort zone. I want you to consider joining a life group. You're like, oh, that's a little bit outside my comfort zone. Tough. Jesus wants to push you there. And maybe you're saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm in a life group. That's great. I'm good, right? But maybe Jesus is saying, hey, I want to push you outside of your comfort zone to lead a life group. You're like, whoa, that's, a, that's another step. Yes. And so we push Jesus away. Jesus, you're pushing me outside of my comfort zone. Jesus wants you to be a light in your family, to your work, to have conversations with your neighbors, invite them to church. And so you're saying, ah, I'm going to push Jesus away because I'm still held captive by my comfort. So cost, comfort, control, that whole idea of God, if I trust you, you know, I might, you might take me down a different path. I mean, here's the path that I want to go down. I don't want to go down the path that you might, you know, I don't, I don't want to give up my control. And so cost, comfort, control can be something that holds us bondage and make us push Jesus away. And that's what we see going on here. They say, Jesus, leave, the, leave our region. Then verse 18 we see that Jesus responds and he does go away. In verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Then verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. And so then verse 20. So the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. This is, this is incredible. The man who'd just been healed says, Jesus, you're getting in a boat because they're pushing you away? Okay, can I go with you? And, and I don't blame him for wanting to go with Jesus. I mean, he's living in a town where they really don't care about him. They care more about their pigs. And he's the guy that's been terrorizing him. And so they're like, yeah, we're not sure we want this guy around. So he's saying, Jesus, can I go with you? You've changed me. I want to be with you. You're the son of God. I want to follow you. And it's interesting that Jesus says no. Because when we talk to, to God, that's prayer. Prayer is talking to God and Jesus is God. And in this passage, we have a number of people talking to Jesus. We have the demons, in fact, saying, hey, please, you know, send us into these pigs. And what is Jesus' response? Okay, go ahead and go to the pigs. So he says yes to them. Then we have the townspeople. And it's really not a, much of a prayer as much of a, a command, <laughs> go away. Um, but he says, okay, I'll go away. But then the man comes to Jesus and says, let me come with you. And he says, no. Do you, you hear that? Do you feel that? There's a yes, there's a yes, and there's a no. Sometimes God says no to your prayers. Sometimes what your plan is, and you're saying, God, uh, this is what I want. God says, nope, I've got a different plan for you. And guess what? It's always better. God has a different plan sometimes, and we just have to recognize that. And even if you see other people getting yeses and you're getting the no, listen, God knows best. And what I love about this passage is the man here, this man who'd been demon-possessed, he surrenders to Jesus. He says, okay, I want to go with you. You're saying, no, go back home and tell people about me. Tell people about what I've done for you. Okay, I'll do that. And he responds to Jesus. And as a result of that, he makes a great impact in the surrounding region. It's, it's incredible. And what I think is so powerful here is that you see a man who was held captive under bondage and he'd been set free by Jesus. But now that he has freedom, he submits himself back into captivity to Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus sets us free from sin, from death, from the things that are, that, that are hold us in bondage. He sets us free, gives us hope, gives us new life. But then he says, hey, now come serve me. Come yield to me. Surrender your life to me. And I love that this guy does that. And as a result, he has great impact in the region around him. Listen, Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants to take the things that are holding you down, the things that have you captive. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And as he does, then he says, come follow me. Trust me. Let me direct you because it's the very best way to go. Let's take a moment and let's thank him for that. Okay, let's come together in prayer. In this time of prayer, just this is a moment just for you and the Lord. Just a moment for you to come to him and apply the passage. Just you and God. And maybe you're in a spot where you're, this is new to you, but it's okay. God's here. He wants to hear from you. And maybe you're here and you're, you just need to stop and recognize that you do and feel captive. Just to stop and recognize it. Some of you feel captive to your history. You can't get past what you've done or what's happened. And this is the moment to say, Jesus, help me to move forward. I can't do it on my own. 
I've been in bondage too long. I can't, but I need you. Will you help me? For some of you here, it's just a moment for you to say, God, I am held captive by an emotion right now. Whether that's anxiety or anger, you've tried to fix it, you've tried to solve it, you've tried to manage it on your own, but this is the moment, this is the time to say, Jesus, I need your help. I don't want to be captive to this any longer. I need your help today. Some of you here and you just recognize that maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ and you just feel captive to sin, to burdens, to brokenness in your life, to shame, guilt, whatever it might be, but you feel the heaviness, the weight. You've been struggling, trying to solve it, fix it on your own. And today is an opportunity for you to come before God and say, Jesus, I need to fall at your feet. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need to be set free. And I can't do it on my own. And I trust in you, who you are and what you've done that through faith in Jesus, I can find forgiveness, hope, and healing. You put your faith in him, he'll respond, forgive you your sins, and promises to walk with you towards greater restoration in your life. God, we again, we just thank you for being a God who doesn't run away from us that we can come to you with all of our burdens, all of our challenges, and that you promise to walk with us. You have the power to transform us. And then you also give us new assignments where we can respond to the grace that you've given us and to share that grace with others. So Lord, help us to be people who share the good news faithfully, fearlessly, and, uh, and it would be that you could use us to make an impact like you did with this man. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, in your name, amen.